What is going on, everybody? Hopefully you guys are all doing well out there. Uh, Join you today, obviously, with a very heavy heart, and uh, it's been an extraordinarily sad week for me and uh, millions uh, around the world uh, who experienced the tragic loss of Kobe Bryant and uh, eight other people in a helicopter crash, including his daughter. So uh, just to start things off, uh, hearts and, and prayers, obviously, out to all the families involved. We'll spend uh, some time today talking about Kobe and talking about, uh, you know, if you followed the show uh, any length of time, you know the Los Angeles Lakers are my favorite basketball team. And it's not, uh, I'm not one of these fans uh, that come and go uh, with the Lakers or only root for them when when they're winning games. In fact, some of my, my favorite teams over the years are the teams that have struggled a little bit. Uh, the te- teams that they're they're kind of building up. Uh, this is actually the first time I've been able to talk about Kobe uh, because I-, I get the love for the Los Angeles Lakers uh, from my family. My parents actually uh, were living in Los Angeles in the the late '70s, early '80s when uh, the Lakers were taking off. They had Magic Johnson and Kareem and James Worthy and Michael Cooper and AC Green. Um, and these are the players that I, I my earliest memories uh, of watching really any TV, uh, not, not cartoons. Parents didn't let me watch a lot of cartoons or, or wrestling or any of this crap that uh, people watch these days. Uh, my parents, if I wanted to watch TV, I could watch the Lakers or the news. Uh, so needless to say, I, I watched uh, a lot of Lakers uh, basketball uh, early on in, in my life. And my parents were big fans, still are big fans. Uh, of the Lakers. And so, you know, it's been hard. Uh, you know, I talked to my brother today for the first time uh, since Kobe passed away, and we didn't talk about Kobe. Um, so I'm trying, I'm going to try not to focus on the sadness and uh, the, you know, uh, the kind of difficulty I've had the last couple of days because, um, you know, Kobe Bryant brought a lot of joy into my life. And when I think back on his career, it um, it brings a lot of joy to my life, and uh, excuse me. Like I said, this is actually the first time I've talked about it, so it's it's going to be kind of hard, uh, but we'll get through it. Um, you know, I started. I remember that when Kobe Bryant got drafted, uh, in 1996. I remember I had a black and this is going to date me a little bit. I had a black and white TV in my in my in my bedroom and I remember the only channel that came in was CBS and I would watch David Letterman at nighttime and they cut away from David Letterman to do like a little, you know, a little news bit during a during a commercial break and uh they said that the Los Angeles Lakers had traded Vladi Divac for Kobe Bryant. I remember being so excited. I mean, it was probably 11 o'clock at night or something. And I go down and I'm like 14 years old. Uh, and I, I run down to my brother's room and I turn his light on. He's dead asleep. And I was like, Oh, the Lakers traded for Kobe. And he kind of just gives me this look like, you know, who cares? Uh, I think, you know, in the morning when my brother wakes up and reads it in the newspaper, this was before the internet really, uh, reads it in the newspaper and things like that. 
uh, starts to realize, hey, you know, the Lakers, uh, you know, they got they're getting Shaq and they they got Kobe, and this is going to be exciting, you know, an exciting time to to root for the Lakers. And so I was a uh, you know I was on board with Kobe from uh, literally the moment I found out uh, that they traded for him and and they had him on the team. And uh, like I said, I was that was in I think nineteen ninety six. I was fourteen years old or so, fourteen or fifteen years old. And so over the next twenty years, Kobe Bryant entertained me. He made the NBA Finals, I believe, seven times. Okay, seven times in twenty years. And and one of those years, he his rookie year, he didn't play a whole lot. A lot of people don't really remember that. Uh, I don't even know if he started even into a second year. Um, and he missed a, basically an entire year, I believe, too, with uh, with an Achilles injury. So, uh, you know, out of maybe 16 or 17 years there, he made the final seven times. So you can imagine as a fan what kind of joy that will bring to your life. And Kobe certainly uh, was a big part of that. Uh, when the Lakers finally started winning championships with him and Shaq, I was in college. I had gotten to 18, 19, 20. This is the early 2000s, so I was 18, 19, 20 years old. And um, one of the exciting things was this was the Sacramento Kings were uh, a fantastic basketball team at that time. And, uh, and, and the Lakers were obviously their, their – I mean, the Kings were the Lakers' chief rival. I'll put it that way. Because the Lakers never lost a key series – to the Sacramento Kings. And so you can imagine growing up, again, I, I lived 30 minutes, at the time I lived 30 minutes from Sacramento, and I was in college and I lived in a house and, and, and quite a few people, there was always 10 or 12 people over there at least. And half of them were Laker fans and half of them were Kings fans. And so you can imagine the joy that will bring you. You know, if you think I talk a lot of shit now and I'm brash and I'm got a big ego, imagine when I, you know, I'm 18, 19, 20 years old and the Lakers are beating the Kings, what I'm saying to Kings fans and, uh, you know, saying to the neighborhood that uh, was pretty much all Kings fans. So uh, just tremendous, tremendous joy uh, during that time. I just, that was, you know, college is, is some of your bet, the best time of your life and to combo that with the Lakers having the success that they had during those years, uh, was what uh, you know. I look back on it and uh, just uh, you know, it, it, again, just tremendous amount of joy uh, that that he and obviously his teammates and the, the organization brought into my life. A few years later, obviously him and Shaq kind of uh, separated there, and uh, uh, to, to to give you an insight on how long my college career lasted, because since I was much better at, at not going to class than actually going to class, I was still in college. I actually went and started going to a different college, and uh, same kind of situation happened. There were Kings had fallen off by then um, and weren't really a good team anymore. But uh, the Lakers had gotten Pau Gasol. I was actually in L.A. when uh, the Kings got, or not the Kings, the Lakers had traded for Pau Gasol. I was traveling down to L.A. for a wedding, actually, with all all my my college buddies. Uh, the previous college I went to, they all flew in from out of the country, really. And uh, we were all meeting up, and we, you know we're driving down there, and Pau Gasol gets straight to the Lakers, so we're pumped up. And obviously, the Lakers went on to make three NBA Finals and won two uh, with that group. They had Andrew Bynum and, and a lot, Lamar Odom and some other key players um, during that run. And so you can imagine the joy that here I am again in college, 
you know, all I do is sit around and, and uh, drink and smoke and do all these things. And, uh, you know, a lot of times you're watching the Lakers. Uh, this is before a lot of social media and cell phones and things like that. So you're sitting at, down actually watching the games, talking to people, but, you know, chit-chatting, not doing it all on the internet, uh, which kids and, and most people do these days. So, uh, you know, Kobe brought a tremendous, tremendous amount of joy uh, to my life then. And then finally, you know, his career starts winding down. And, uh, you know, only a handful of athletes have brought me to tears uh, d- during their performance. Uh, the first one was actually Magic Johnson. I remember when Magic Johnson announced his uh, retirement. Uh, this was, I guess, in the 90s. Uh, I didn't cry. I remember not uh, crying that day because it was such a shock. Uh, and a lot of people don't remember because uh, it was so long ago. They they weren't a you know, maybe a big Magic Johnson fan, but Magic Johnson was in his career, during his career when he announced his retirement. But also, he announced that he had HIV, and at the time, announcing that you had HIV was basically you had about ten years to live. The prognosis for Magic Johnson at the time was he had about ten years to live until he got full blown AIDS, and then he had probably a few months to live after that. And so, uh, you know, Magic Johnson announcing his retirement was both was follow, you know, coupled with the emotions like this guy's going to be dead in ten years. That's what the the assumption was at the time. Uh, thank God that hasn't happened, and I can't believe I'm talking about Kobe Bryant's death before I'm talking about Ma- Magic Johnson's or Kareem's or or, or Jerry West. Uh, you know, it's unbelievable. Uh, and I, you know, I'm still kind of wondering if this is a dream. I was in the grocery store the other day and I'm walking by the newspapers and it it was the day after Kobe passed away and I'm looking at the papers and I'm thinking, this is a dream. Uh, but it's not. Um, so you know, I didn't cry when magic announced his retirement, but I remember they had a retirement party for him. And I think Larry Bird was there and and things like that. And I remember, uh, crying there was the first time an athlete made me cry. I think the second time I cried during an athlete's performance was, uh, Jack Nicholas, Last uh, last major was in the British Open at the Royal Troon, I think, or one of those. And uh, I just remember him going over the bridge, and he's got his yellow sweater on, and he's waving goodbye. It brought, you know, I wasn't, you know, bawling, but it, you know, brought a tear to my eye. Uh, and then uh, the 19, 2019 Masters. Tiger Woods pulls off uh, a tremendous win. I actually watched the when Kobe passed away. I needed to feel better about myself. I actually pulled this is not a joke. I actually pulled up the highlights to the 2019 Masters to watch Tiger Woods win uh, to cheer me up a little bit. Uh, and I just remember uh, you know Tiger Woods walking up my team and I'm I'm losing it. Uh, you know tears of joy. I'm not sad. Obviously, just tremendous tears of joy. And uh, the other last time I cried about an athlete was Kobe's final game. Uh, before t- uh, Tiger, obviously, uh, Kobe had his final game. And I remember watching that game. Lakers weren't very good that year. And they were playing the Jazz. And they were stinking it up like they normally do. And they were down by quite a bit. And then Kobe led an epic comeback and scored. I think it was like 60 or 61 points there. And I remember just he went over to the sidelines and he hugged Shaq. And just the image of that... Uh, you know, my wife was like, couldn't believe that I was crying as much as I did. But I was like, you know, this guy has been in my life for 20 years, you know, and and when Kobe was retired, I was what, probably 34, 35 years old. So for over half my life, Kobe Bryant was a part of it. And I know I didn't never meet him. I never met Kobe Bryant. 
Uh, but in some ways, as someone, I've lost close family members recently, uh, unfortunately, actually a couple of close family members over the last few years uh, to early deaths, uh, quite frankly, and I've lost friends over the years. Um, but but this, this, you know, it isn't any easier with Kobe because, I, you know, at least with some of my other family members, I at least got to express to them or, or, or talk to them at times and express to them how much I cared for him. I never got to tell Kobe how much joy he brought to my life. And I never get to express that to him. I just got to witness it from afar. So it's not any easier um, when, you, when you don't meet the person. And like I said, Kobe was a part of my life uh, for, for 20 years uh, of his career. And someone I followed intensely for uh, 20 years and probably saw, I don't know how many Laker games I saw over that time. I couldn't afford League Pass through all those years, um, but I certainly saw all the key games and all the, the critical moments and, and things like and all the NBA Finals and playoff games and things like that. Um, so uh, just a tremendous amount of joy that he brought to my life. And I, whenever I think of, I remember when Kobe had his last game, I actually, I don't post on Facebook a whole lot, but I got my college buddies on there and, and my family on there. And I remember posting, that's probably one of the last posts I had on Facebook a couple years ago. Uh, I posted, you know, when I think about Kobe's career, I think about my friends. I think about being in college. I think about them winning. I think about the parties we had. I think about, just the couple of games, I went to a couple of games, went to a Kings game, went to some games in LA. Uh, I think I went to a Warriors game uh, and I saw Kobe. And uh, so, you know, just, I think about all those, when I thought about Kobe's career, you know, I thought about all that stuff. Uh, Unfortunately, now, you know, you think about the kind of the tragic events that led to his life. I'm going to try not to let that be what I think about, um, but it's hard. It's hard because it, it's a, it's a shock. It doesn't matter, uh, you know, who it occurs to. You don't d- don't wish that on anybody, especially somebody uh, that was sitting right there with his daughter, and was was kind of reaching a new new stage of his life. So, um, you know, Kobe was an extraordinary guy. Uh, I was actually uh, substitute teaching, uh, which is something I, I occasionally do, uh, not for the money, obviously. Uh, but you know, you don't buy two Rolexes and a Benz by being a substitute teacher, but it is something I do, uh, because I get probably more out of it than the kids do. And the school does, um, uh, what was cool is I was, I was subbing a grade that, that, uh, you know, knew about Kobe. They were still pretty young kids, but they knew about Kobe and, uh, they're mature enough to where we could talk about it a little bit. And cause a couple of the kids, you know, it was like a day or two after Kobe passed away. And so I'm talking before the class starts or whatever, I'm, I'm there talking to some of the kids. And so before, you know, we're praying and stuff like that before for class or whatever. And uh, we start talking, you know, I talk to him about Kobe and, and I, I, you know, I tell him, you know, the, the extraordinary thing about Kobe was not that he wanted to be the best basketball player in the world. I think it's clear, you know, following anybody that's followed Kobe uh, even a little bit, realized this dude wanted to be great, wanted to be the best player ever, basically, or at least the best player uh, he could possibly be. And I think he absolutely, I mean, there's no doubt he achieved that. Okay. I, I honestly don't think that's very extraordinary. I, I, I don't think for an athlete or really anybody to say, I want to be the best. 
and even working hard. Okay, we all know that Kobe worked hard at being the best. It's not like he wanted to be the best and then he sat around and smoked weed. He wanted to be the best, and he would practice and and work harder than anyone at that. I don't even think that's very extraordinary, okay? Because I think there's a lot of people in the world that are like that. A lot of people that, not necessarily in basketball or in sports, but in across all kinds of industry and being a father or being, you know, all this other stuff. There's a lot of people that achieve greatness and work hard to achieve that greatness. So I don't think Kobe wanting to do that, wanting to be great and working hard to be great, I actually don't think that's very extraordinary. The extraordinary thing about Kobe is he expected that out of his teammates, the Lakers organization, the coaching staff, and everybody involved with the Los Angeles Lakers. He expected his teammates to be great. He expected the coaching staff to be great. He expected the organization to be great. And when they weren't, he let them fucking know about it. And to me, that is extraordinary. Because guess what that does? That makes people fucking pissed at you. Okay? You think Shaq fucking liked Kobe, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, telling him he's fat and he needs to get in shape? I mean, why do you guys think uh, Shaq and Kobe butted heads so much? Okay? Shaq is lazy as fuck. And Kobe wasn't having it. Kobe, I saw an interview, I mean, I had forgotten this actually, but I saw an interview with Jerry West. Kobe wanted to leave the Lakers and actually had almost agreed, basically agreed to go to the Clippers. This is when Donald Sterling was the owner and Jerry West, thank God, talked him out of it. uh, Jerry West was like the GM of Memphis Grizzlies at the time. And thank God talked Kobe out of it. So when the Lakers organization wasn't, trying to be great. Kobe wanted to leave. There was many times over the years Kobe butted heads with Phil Jackson or whatever stupid-ass coach the Lakers would have at the time. Butted heads with Dwight Howard and all number, many, 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 many teammates over the years. That's why that is extraordinary because most people want to sit around and be liked and have everybody like them and rub their ass and, and, and you know, do all this. Kobe wanted to be the best, wanted to be great, but more importantly, he wanted you to be great. He wanted you to succeed. He wanted you to bust your ass. He wanted you to achieve things that you might not think possible. And a lot of people are lazy. A lot of people don't want to work. A lot of people want to achieve kind of a certain level of success and then kind of coast. And Kobe didn't want to do that. So that's what I find. Um, You know, when I think about Kobe's career, obviously it brought me a lot of joy, a lot of inspiration. But when I think back on his life, the thing I'm most impressed by is his demanding personality that demanded everybody around him to be giving the same effort he did. And if you didn't give the same effort he did, which was extraordinary, he basically got pissed. And I love that. I think that is incredible. And it is extraordinarily rare. Think about people you work with. Think about family members. Think about anybody, you know, how many people you know with that personality? Probably no one. 
okay? Because I really think it's like kind of a one in a hundred million type personality. Because like I said, most people want to be liked. They want, you know, in, in today's age, they want followers and they want, you know, uh, admiration and things like that. Kobe didn't want any of that. He wanted you to bust your fucking ass as hard as he was. And I, I admire that um, tremendously. And so, um, you know, as I, you know, as, as the days go on, it, you know, I th- thought it was going to get easier. It hasn't. Uh, I had a doctor's appointment last Friday. I'm recording this on Thursday. I had a, a doctor's appointment last Friday. I weighed 188. I weighed myself today. I'm 175. Uh, when, when my wife told me Kobe uh, passed away, I was driving the car at the time. My wife gasped, and I knew something bad had happened. Uh, and she told me Kobe died. And uh, you know, ironically, I, I, my first thought, I went, went to his, his wife and his children. Uh, but w- oddly, I knew right away he died in a helicopter crash. Before she even told me what happened, I knew that was probably the most dangerous thing the guy did. I remember, I remember seeing interviews and things like that. Um, and it's unfortunate. And, uh, but, uh, like I said, I'm going to think about when I think about Kobe, I think about all the joy and happiness he brought into my life as a Lakers fan. Um, and I think about his, his desire to make the other people around him give the same effort he, he does that, that is an incredibly rare trait to have. And it is a incredibly extraordinary thing. Uh, the, uh, in business, I can think of someone like Steve Jobs rubbed people the wrong fucking way. Everybody hated the guy. But at the same time, the reason why they hated him because he was trying to push them to their max. And so to, to me, it's like Steve Jobs and Kobe kind of cut out of the same cloth in that, in that sense, that they, they rubbed people the wrong way because they were pushing them beyond their level of expectations for themselves. And I think that's absolutely extraordinary. So when I was talking to the kids, you know, I, you know the message I gave them was, you know, I took out all the little four-letter words and things like that that I said, but, uh, you know, I was like, and I've had these discussions with kids in the past. I was like, I think an extraordinary, I think an exceptional student, an extraordinary student is not someone that comes in, puts their head in the book, gets, does all their homework and gets straight A's. I, I really don't think that's a very, that, to me, there's millions and millions and millions of students out there that do that. To me, the sign of uh, an extraordinary student is someone who comes in, does all their homework gets straight A's, and then turns to their left or their right and finds a student that's struggling and then gets them caught up and helps them along. And believe me, I've subbed, uh, you know, probably hundreds of times at this point in front of probably uh, over a thousand students. I don't know if I've seen a student yet that has uh, that ability on a daily basis. But to me, that's extraordinary. That's exceptional because you don't ever see it. And so I, I, you know, I took the unfortunate passing away of Kobe to hopefully inspire the next generation to be like, hey, you want to be a great student? You, you want to be the best in the world? Getting straight A's and doing your homework ain't shit. 
looking to your left and looking to your right and finding a student that's struggling and going over there and helping them, that's true leadership. That's extraordinary. Um, and, you know, if we can learn anything, if you get anything from the podcast today, uh, maybe take that away with you a little bit. I've got two. Uh, I've, I've definitely told these stories on the podcast before, uh, but it's probably been a while. I will tell you two hobby-related Kobe Bryant stories. So uh, in I don't remember when Kobe had his little uh, run-in in Colorado, I think it was, or Denver or one of those. Uh, well, Denver's in Colorado, I think. Uh, geographic's not my uh, specialty, but uh, I don't think any subject is, except economics and, and business, but they don't teach that in, in grade school. I wonder why everybody's broke. But um, so Kobe had his little run-in. With, the, with a young lady. And I remember at the time, again, this is kind of before, this is in the age, this is before social media. Uh, social, uh, excuse me, forums are probably some of the more popular sites on the, the internet in terms of posting your own content. So like you, you would post that on a forum or a listserv, kind of predating even a forum. But um, in those days, it was a forum. And I remember the, it wasn't called a hashtag at the time, but the hashtag that was going around uh, with Kobe was free Kobe. So Kobe was involved in this, this, uh, this allegation with a young lady and Laker fans were saying free Kobe, basically hashtag free Kobe is what people are saying. Then I even recall on eBay, a couple people had made t-shirts that said free Kobe and they were selling them. And I thought that was cool. I was going to do that. And so what I did, I took it a step further, and I took Kobe's mugshot, and this is not a brilliant idea, don't copy it, but I was 18, 19, 20 years old at the time, I can't remember what year this was, so I can't, can't tell you what, uh, how old I was, but, uh, so I take Kobe's mugshot, and I put free Kobe up uh, above and below it, and I, I go to Walmart and get a t-shirt, and get some uh, you know, some screen printing things that you print out on like a uh, inkjet, and then you iron it on. And honestly, the quality and this was years ago. The quality was amazing. I was like blown away. I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be kind of cheap," but no, it wasn't. I remember we I kept a shirt or two, and we washed them, and they held uh, up, and they were actually pretty cool. So, and if I had an inkjet printer, I'd make a, make another one just for nostalgia's sake. So I would list them on eBay. And I remember it was crazy. I'd list them, and they would sell immediately. And I probably sold, I don't, I don't remember, but I probably sold 15, 20 t-shirts and they were 20 something dollars each. And they were only costing me, you know, it was probably two or $3 for the t-shirt and another dollar or so for the, the little screen printing thing. And so I was selling, I was like, Ooh, I'm making money. You know, I was broke at the time. And so I was making money. Well, then I get, uh, like some kind of, uh, a copyright or, or, uh, you know, some kind of infringement thing on eBay. And at the time, eBay was bigger than Amazon. eBay was, you know, your eBay account was really, really valuable. And so I stopped uh, immediately selling the shirts. But I also remember at one time, I'm driving home in, in my car and I got the radio on and Tom Tolbert's on, who's a former basketball player. And everybody at the time was talking about Kobe. And uh, he was saying, he said something like, hey, there's these guys selling these free Kobe shirts on the internet. I mean, this thing's wild. And so, you know, I thought that was kind of cool that uh, I even got kind of a shout, basically a shout out on the radio for selling these shirts. Um, so 
you know, that was, that's probably the first time I made money on Kobe. Uh, the second time I made Kobe money on Kobe was far more legitimate and legal. Uh, he had his 81 point game. I don't think, I think that game was on league pass and I, but I do believe I could not afford league pass at the time. So I didn't watch the game, but I'm following it on the internet. And, you know, at that time you watched a little bit more sports center and things like that to, to follow highlights and things. Um, and we see my brother and I see that Kobe scored 81 points and we had these boxes of cards. We had 96, 97 finest boxes, which don't ask me how we ended up with these, but our distributor had a bunch of them and we bought them. Um, we weren't making a ton of money on them when we were selling them, but then he, he scored 81 points and these boxes started selling for three, four five times the price. And so we made a lot of money, uh, from Kobe, uh, the, the night and kind of the weeks following, uh, that he scored uh, that 81 point game. So just want to thank Kobe for, for a little bit of money in my pocket. Like I said, I've lost a uh, good 14, 15 pounds over the last, uh, last week or so. Uh, I, I haven't been, I just haven't been hungry. Uh, once my wife told, we were actually driving to lunch. Thankfully my, my son was hungry at the time. Uh, I just lost my appetite, uh, to eat. And I mean, that's not healthy. I've gotten sick. Um, I, I mean, I'm not trying to get anybody out there to feel sorry for me or send prayers my way. I can only imagine, uh, you know, being his, his wife or his, his close friends, or his daughters, I can imagine, um, you know, making sure they're getting uh, nutrition in their bodies is, is uh, you know, I'm sure they have loved ones around them that are, are forcing them to do that. Because if I'm having trouble eating, uh, I can imagine they are too. Uh, and so my, my, my thought for everybody, all the families involved and friends of the people involved, uh, my thoughts are, are, have been with them and will continue to be. Um, you know, I saw a lot of stuff, uh, more hobby related stuff related to Kobe, us uh, following social media and, you know, obviously when, when someone passes away, especially if, you know, it's extraordinary for someone, the level of Kobe Bryant to pass away at, at this age and at this sudden, uh, you know, obviously there's a rush, uh, to buy his memorabilia and buy his cards. And I saw quite a few posts about, oh, I can't believe the people that are, are selling his stuff and and put RIP in the title or whatever. And and I'm going to give you my take on that. And it might surprise you a little bit. First thing we got to realize is there are two people to every transaction online, on eBay. When you buy a card, there's a seller and then there's the buyer. And so it, let's fur before we start talking about the people that are selling the cards, let's talk about the people that are buying Kobe Bryant cards right now. Let's talk about the people that are buying Kobe Bryant cards right now that are obviously paying. Uh, I, I haven't looked. It's not, you know, I went and looked for Shaq's comments and Jerry West and Derek Fisher and, and uh, Karan Butler and, and, and anybody that played with him. I, I was seeking that out. I don't care what his autograph uh, sells for. But, um, you know, I'm going to assume that his cards have gone up quite a bit. And, you know, I'm going to assume the people that are buying Kobe Bryant cards right now are doing so as a form of retail therapy. 
Retail therapy is actually something that uh, has been studied and is a fact. People buy stuff to make themselves feel better. And if somebody wants to buy a Kobe Bryant card, I don't care if it's a dollar or $10,000 or $100,000, I don't care what it is. If people want to buy that because it makes them feel better about what happened to Kobe, by all means, buy as many as you want. And I can imagine knowing people in this hobby and knowing the demographic and the type of people in this hobby, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of Laker fans, that feel really shitty about what happened to Kobe. And one way to cope with it is to buy an autographed card of his or to buy a piece of memorabilia of his. And getting that card in the mail will actually make them feel better. So am I upset about anybody that sells a Kobe Bryant card? No. Now, I think we could have a discussion if you find out Kobe Bryant passes away and then you immediately go to check on my cards and start snap buying ones and relisting them. Eh. You know, I think it would be classy to donate maybe a little bit Kobe Bryant and Vanessa, uh, you know, foundation or maybe some youth basketball, uh, YMCA or Boards and Girls Club. But again... Somebody's probably going to buy that card as a form of therapy, as a form of healing, as a form of coping. So I have no problems with anybody. And again, everybody's in a different financial situation. Again, I'm not an expert on what Kobe Bryant cards sell for, but let's just say before he passes away, the card was worth 100 and then after he passed away, it's worth 500 Look, everybody's in a different financial situation, and $400 might be a lot to somebody. Might be a lot of money, and that difference means that you're going to sell it. And so by all means, sell it. And God knows Vanessa Bryant and her beautiful daughters are not sitting around their house right now worried about people selling cards on eBay. So it's, it's not something, uh, you know, I, again, saw a lot of complaints about it, saw a lot of commentary about it. Quite frankly, I saw as much commentary about that. I saw as much commentary about selling Kobe Bryant cards as I saw about card trimming. Card trimming is deceiving the buyer, is defrauding the buyer, is ripping off the buyer, and you motherfuckers don't say a word. There's people in this hobby. Oh, I can't talk about that. Or oh, oh I need, that's just that's just rumors. Oh, I I can't really talk about that. I don't know much about that. I'd have to research that a little bit. That's something that's clearly fraud. Clearly, the FBI could get involved with. Clearly, something that needs to be weeded out of the fucking hobby. Somebody tragically passes away. It is not illegal to sell that person's card. It's not illegal one bit. It's not hurting anyone one bit. And in fact, I just made the argument that makes a lot of fucking sense that it actually helps somebody. It actually makes somebody feel better. So 
saw a lot of fucking dumb fucks out there. Oh, I can't believe people are selling Kobe's. And these guys were fucking crickets. Crickets. Anytime one of these card trimmers come out and are defrauding hundreds and thousands of dollars from the community of collectors out there. It's a fucking joke. So no, I don't have any problem with people selling Kobe cards. If you have a Kobe card and you need the money, or the money, again, I don't know how much they've gone up, but if they've gone up to a point where you can pay your rent or pay, buy something else that you want, who cares? Sell it. Get it in the hands of somebody, like I said, who's probably struggling right now. Okay, I never met Kobe. You know, closest I got to him was I couldn't afford good seats when I could go see him play. So, you know, I was always in the, the upper level. <coughs> I never got that close to him. You know, I, I can barely eat right now. So I can imagine there's fans out there that that uh, loved him even more than I did and, and, and love cards more than I do and love collecting his memorabilia more than I do. It's a form of therapy. It's a form of enjoyment for them. So by all means, if you have Kobe cards, sell them if you want to. We live in this cancel culture. I think that's what a lot of it is on Twitter, too. You see this on Twitter a lot. Uh, you know, you want to cancel somebody out, basically. There's also kind of, especially with one particular party, uh, um, you know, one particular, um, you know, politics party, they vilify people that make money. They vilify corporations. They vilify getting, and, and ironically, it's from Bernie Sanders, the Bernie Sanders type. Bernie Sanders is a multi-fucking millionaire. And he vilifies people that make money. So there's this culture that that is led by it's just I just the irony is so thick that the gravy can't even pour out of the fucking gravy boat. That you got to cancel people, and that you know, especially cancel people that are trying to make money. Uh, uh, don't buy into any of it. Ignore it. These guys are fucking idiots. And chances are, most of these idiots didn't say a fucking word about something that is a scam, that is ripping people off, and is illegal to do in this hobby. Most of these guys were fucking crickets. And again, just remember, the person buying the card is doing so as a form of retail therapy. Okay, especially in the case of Kobe. I mean, this guy had millions and millions and millions of fans, okay, from around the world. Okay, there's millions of people in LA that, that love this guy, let alone around the world, okay? So by all means, if you have a card and you don't want it or, you, you know, the price has gotten to a point where, you know, hey, it, you, know, the, you know, there's a trade-off with anything, I've got things around my house that go up in value, and I'm like, holy crap. You know, I literally have to call the insurance company and, and tell them, you know, 
This is worth this now. <coughs> so, uh, that's about that's about what I had to to talk about with uh, Kobe. And uh, uh, I love the guy, and uh, just blessed that I got to follow his career. And uh, I will always, always, always look back on his career and his life and just be filled with joy. Um, I don't know. I, I've got other topics here. I might as well just run them down. Uh, we'll go real quick here. Uh, we had, cause it's kind of hard to transition off of that, but, uh, but, uh, we will. So we've got, uh, you know, we had the cheating in major league baseball that happened. And, uh, my only thought, this is my only thought on this. If you guys think the Astros, and I think it was the Red Sox. Were the two teams that were kind of involved in it? I don't know if it's the Red Sox or somebody went to the Red Sox that was involved. With, I don't really know. I didn't really follow the story, to be honest with you. But if you think it's only the Astros that cheated, I mean, you got to be kidding me, guys. That's like saying, oh, only Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco did steroids. Please. Probably over half the league was doing steroids at the time. So whatever kind of cheating and sign stealing was going on over the last couple of years, the majority of the league was doing it. Period. And I think it lines up when you see all these fucking home runs. I mean, Pete Alonso takes off his shirt, and I think I have a better body than that guy does. And this motherfucker hit like 50 home runs. And like Alex, well, we know Alex Bregman was, was cheating. Uh... There's just been a lot of guys that uh, it's like all of a sudden they hit 50 home runs. It's like, what the fuck? You know? So, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think, you know, the thing I think that needs to happen is they need a different way to put the signs in. Like, what about uh, what about an earpiece or, uh, I, I don't know, figure out a different way. Let the, let the pitcher wear a buzzer. Let the pitcher wear a buzzer and then tap, you know, two taps for a curveball, two taps for a... One tap for a slider or something. I don't know. I just think uh, we should the 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 pitcher should be allowed to get the signs in a different way. Because obviously the way the pitcher gets the signs is uh, no no longer effective anymore. So I think that's what needs to happen. We'll see if what changes happen. I doubt major major league baseball, just like the steroids, are in no hur- no hurry to clean up the game. Major League Baseball, no hurry to clean up the game. Hitting 50 fucking home runs is good for the game. They don't care if you're stealing signs or taking the juice. They don't. So they're not going to be in any hurry to clean up the game. Period. Uh, A Topps conference is coming up. My brother will be attending. So if you are attend, I am not going to attend. I got you know I got family. Um, to make a trip like that is uh, without my family, not exactly something I want to do. So um, there's that. But we will. My brother and I will join together and do a podcast. 
maybe from the event itself. I will. I'll have him phone in. Um, but newsflash. It'll be on the Sports Card Radio Premium side. We will not be uh, giving away that information for free. So you can go to sportscardradio.com slash premium to find the paid podcast. Right now we have two. I will be doing another one very shortly. I'll tell you what topic that will be on, but then we'll also do one from the Tops Conference where we will be sharing many, many, many things and uh, many juicy details from the conference Episodes cost $1.49. Uh, and I want to say thank you to everybody that has purchased uh, a premium podcast in the past. I probably can buy, um, you know, it probably paid for about four gallons of uh, premium gasoline in my, in my car. <laughs> Excuse me. I, I, I think I said in the top of the show I got... You know, Kobe passed away, and I haven't ate, and I've gotten sick, so it's been a rough week. Uh, so, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I appreciate everybody that, that's bought a podcast. It's actually been more than, than I thought, and I'm not out here. I mean, I, I know I mentioned it like twice on the show already, but uh, I'm not tweeting about it every day. I'm not Facebooking it. I could buy ads to it and see how well it converts and all that crap. But, you know, if you want to listen, you listen. If you don't have a dollar, if you can't afford a dollar forty nine to to listen to an hour, two hours, three hours, then you know, fuck you, basically. So, sportscarradio.com slash premium to find all the premium podcasts. There'll be, uh, you know, it's not something I'm going to do. I've had people ask, you know, can I have a monthly thing? You know, I'm not going to do that because I'm only going to do them every so often. I'm only going to do them. Uh, when I think I could provide value, when the, there's topics on there that I want to talk about, I'm not going to just put up a podcast and charge people money when it's kind of me just talking. Uh, and in this case, this is like a therapy session for me because, like I said, I haven't been able to talk about Kobe uh, since he passed away, really. So, uh, my other premium, I mentioned that I will probably be doing a premium show um, either on my own, might bring my brother on to it about opening a retail store because, as it might shock some of you guys listening, it's actually something I will be doing tomorrow. Yes, you heard that right. I will be opening a retail store tomorrow. I've already assigned the lease. I will get the keys tomorrow. I've got some other things. Uh, you know, I was supposed to do all this stuff this week, and then, and then, like I said, Kobe passed away, and I, I didn't didn't do anything. Uh, so I've got, some, you know, I got insurance and some other stuff, and I'm way behind on it all. But uh, I'm in no rush. This is, and also, this is the second time I'm opening a store. Uh, so it's not like you know, you're like your first girlfriend, you know, kissing kissing her for the first time is really cool and and uh, you know other things uh you know progressing to you know third or fourth base is always uh, really exciting but once you're on to your second girlfriend it's not nearly as exciting uh same thing with a store so i'm not um it's not nearly as exciting I remember how excited i was to open up my first store um but so many things are different this time around so many things are different this time around um, and I will talk, I don't want to talk about that on this show, uh, simply because I think the things I learned 
from failure. I actually think you learn from failure better than you do from success. The things I learned from failure on a first shop um, are so incredibly valuable that um, I learned a lot from them, and I will take them into the next uh, the next phase here. Now you might be asking yourself, "What am I going to sit there from eight to five, or you know, Monday through Friday, or Monday through Saturday?" Hell no, hell no. I didn't open up a store to give myself a fucking job. You got to be kidding me. So when this thing opens, don't think you can just roll down there and find me there. That is, you know, that it's, it'd be like, you know, looking outside and seeing a solar eclipse. It'd be spectacular if you did see one, but, you know, it's going to be rare. So no, I'm not going to be there very much. No, I mean, by very much, I mean for long stretches of time. I'm not going to sit behind a counter and wait for people to walk in through the door. That's not what I'm going to do. Okay, I got better things to do with my time and I have the money to where I don't have to do that. I also, this is not, this is like a fifth income source for me. It's not, whereas before, it was like going to be my primary income and like paid the bills. And I think that's actually a mistake and that's why so many fail. This store is actually going to enhance the online business that I have, enhance some of the relationships I have with certain vendors and certain distributors and allow uh, that area to grow and alongside that probably introduce some uh, a couple new uh, revenue streams in terms of in-person sales, but probably very minimal, honestly. It'll probably be very minimal. The other thing is, is my price, uh, what I learned too is, you know, the, I'm not going to price things for the, the hardcore collector. Okay, the hardcore collector knows they can shop at DA or go to Amazon or go here or go here or go here and get it, you know, 50 cents cheaper or a dollar cheaper. And if you want to do that, go shop there. I don't want your business. I want the person, the mom coming in that doesn't know shit and is going to pay a little bit of a premium. Or doesn't want to drive here, doesn't want to drive here, doesn't want to order this, doesn't want to do this, doesn't know what to get, and will pay a premium. To me, that's a much better business model than, oh, I'm going to be fucking, uh, you know, I'm going to be there for the collectors. No, you're not. You're going to go broke doing that. So, um, but it's exciting. I got a lot of fucking work to do. I do have a lot. I mean, I do have some work to do. But the other, one of the other reasons why I did it is I was like sitting around. I've sat around, I've had this uh, thought uh, many, many times, actually, uh, since my kids were born. And it's like, you know, I make money and I do shit. And, uh, but a lot of the ways I make money, like I have a lot of family members that, that don't have any idea how I make money. Don't have any idea. And, if, and one of the reasons why is when I try to talk to about people and explain it to people, they kind of just look at me and they're like, they just give me this blank stare because 99% of people, their way of making money is clocking in and clocking out, clocking in, clocking out, clocking in, clocking out. And I don't do that. That's not how I make money. That's, that to me is how you become the 99% is you clock in, you clock out. 
You want to be a part of the 1%, you got to do it completely different. And so I do things completely differently. And that's why most people don't get or understand how to make real money. So we'll see what happens. But I'm excited. Uh, Oh, my point was, so I have all these ways I make money. And uh, it's been, I've been blessed. Just, I mean, I was broke 10 years ago. So to, to now, you know, I, I had, I got seven or $8,000 worth of Amazon stock now. I mean, that's just one stock that I have. I think I have four or $5,000 worth of Apple stock. So there's 10 grand right there between two companies. You know, I didn't have 10 grand, uh, you know, I didn't make 10 grand in a year uh, 10 years ago. So um, I got two watches that, that, that uh, cost more than, uh, you know, was more money than I made uh, for for probably 10 years of my life. So, um, you know, but one thing, I I have kids now, and I kind of want to, I kind of wanted them to see, like, it wasn't always this easy for me, okay? It wasn't like this shit came naturally, and and I didn't work, okay? I did work. I worked hard, okay? It's kind of like looking at Kobe and thinking, oh, yeah, those jumpers, he didn't have to practice to make those jumpers. He didn't have to fucking work in the gym. To, you know, it just came naturally. No, it didn't. Motherfucker had to work. We didn't see it. We didn't get to see much of it or any of it. We saw the result of it, and that's kind of where I'm at. You know, my kids and my family get to benefit from the result of my work. They don't really see any of the work. So kind of opening up a retail space, I'll be able to bring my son down there when he's a little bit older. Uh, you know, he'll see, like, you know, me working a little bit. And I think there'll be some value there. I think there'll, there'll be some value there. The other thing, and probably the most important thing is, God, I have so many boxes and crap around my house. And I don't live in a very big house, okay? And that, you know... Uh, you know, I got nice cars and nice watches. I do have a very nice house, but it's not that big. And that's because there's a house up the street from me, a four-bedroom house that's really not that nice. It's not even nicer than my house. And it's $535,000. I mean, this, this house is like literally, like I can see it from my front porch. They want $535,000 for a four-bedroom house with like no backyard, Okay. So, and it's like alleyway, and it's, it's not, not that nice of a house. Um, I don't know if they'll get it, but, the, you know, they'll get, like, upper fours for it. So, you know, real estate is, is expensive out here in California, especially if you want to live in a nice neighborhood and you want to have multiple bedrooms. It's not, not cheap. So, um, you know, and then you got property taxes on top. You know, property tax on a $500,000 house is not insignificant money. So... Um, you know, I did the wise thing and bought, there literally has not been a cheaper house sold in my neighborhood, not on my street in my entire neighborhood than what I bought. So I bought, right. I bought a smaller house on a very large lot and, um, I'm already kind of expanding and I'll, I'll continue. I'm doing some remodeling and some expanding and, and things like that. But, uh, my house is filled with fucking supplies and board games and all this other stuff. So what it's going to allow me to do is take all this crap out of my house and go and take it somewhere else. And so that, to me, is, is going to be the, the best thing about that. So, again, I'll talk about that 
as we move forward as well. I will probably talk the, you know, the more in-depth and a lot of in-depth section about what I'm selling, about what's selling, what's not, my, uh, you know, my process in terms of opening the store. I just bought some uh, fixtures and things like that today. I'll talk about where I got those, how much I paid for them, other ways you can do that. I'll talk about the mistakes I made when I first opened a store. I'll talk about uh, my rent and my expenses and things like that. Talk about all that on the premium podcast at some other time. But not right now. And uh, not for free. So uh, that about wraps it up. So I hope everybody is doing well out there. Hopefully you guys are all uh, having fun in this hobby. And if you're a Lakers fan or just a sports fan in general, and you too were devastated by the news about Kobe Bryant, I encourage you to remember the joy and the extraordinary career he had. And let that be your focus. And also remember that it's not extraordinary to want to be the best. It's not extraordinary to work hard at being the best. What is extraordinary is demanding that of others. I think that is extraordinary. And in fact, the combination of all of that, wanting to be the best, working to be the best, and then looking everybody in the eye around you and expecting them to do the same, that is extraordinary. I almost never see that. Never. And a little tip for you out there, you want to invest in companies, that's what you look for. You look for leadership that has those qualities. And I've always, I've always talked about that. I've talked about that on the show where it's like you don't invest in stocks. You don't invest in companies. You invest in leaders. You invest in leadership. And I've never really like quantified it as well as I did uh, when Kobe passed away because I thought about his career. I thought about what made him extraordinary. And uh, now I'm really going to look for that even more where it's like, who is out there that is trying to be the best CEO, trying to run the best company, that is then also working hard and trying to do that, not just sitting around and watching everybody else do the work, but then is expecting everybody in the company, from the janitor to the CFO, to do the same. And trust me, it is rare, rare to find people that can do that. But Kobe did, and uh, that's why he was so extraordinary, and I will miss him uh, terribly. And I hope you all have a wonderful day. We'll be back some other time, but for now, we are out of here.